It's the 2012 Summer Olympic Games in London, and the 4x100-meter relay is about to start. The fastest woman alive is under pressure to deliver a win because repeated baton-change failures from the U.S. teams in the past have cast a shadow over this event. But Carmelita Jetta has made a controversial decision that critics say will cost them the much-needed gold. It's been 16 years since the U.S. took the top step at the Olympics for the women's relay. The four runners take their marks. The gun goes off. And the rest is world record-breaking history. I knew I couldn't go back. Changes your you just life. put it out there. She said you've got less than a year to just look even Luck is the residue of design. Nobody else was doing it, so I could not. That was the turning point. Welcome to the Bucket Podcast with Phil Kogan. Every week, I talk to Mavericks, disruptors, and innovators. People who ditch the excuses, swerve off the predictable road, and epitomize what it means to ticket before you kick it. Some races are truly won before it starts. You know, it's all about intimidating the opponent. You know, if you're able to intimidate them and get them off their game and get them to second guess themselves, you've already won. Born and raised in Southern California, Kamalita Jeter is the fastest woman alive. She's a world champion, a world record holder, and an Olympic gold, silver, and bronze medal winner. But the superstar sprinter got off to a slow start. She didn't start track until she was 14 and in the ninth grade was considered a late bloomer for the sport. By the time she competed at the 2012 Olympic Games, she was 32 years old. But you never want to underestimate the jet. Give Carmelita a reason why she shouldn't be racing and she'll just go harder and faster. Obstacles to her are opportunities and failure becomes her rocket fuel. She has a need for speed and a desire to succeed. The safest thing to do is just get out of her way. I caught up with the world's fastest woman alive in Los Angeles to hear about her incredible Olympic gold medal victory, a win against all odds, and her unusual race to the top. So the last time we were together, Long Beach Celebrity Grand Prix, I think there were 25 of us, weren't there? Yes, there was, I don't know exact number, but there was a lot of us. Yeah, and uh, we were getting coached on how to drive very, very fast. And, uh, and you know, I didn't even know how to drive a stick. So you turned up that day and you didn't know how to drive a stick. So when we were sitting in the class and you know how they had the one, two, three, four on the board. Yeah. And so I, I, I look over and I say, well, do we, are they going to have any automatics? And I forget who I said it to. He starts laughing. He says... You don't know how to drive a stick? I said, no, I don't. So I had to learn how to drive a stick and learn how to drive a race car in the same weekend. Well, you did pretty well. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, what, what was so interesting about it was just how everybody changed into crazy mode. <laughs> and and I, thought, I thought of you because you stayed calm through the whole thing, but there were some people that once they got to the race day and once they were you know on the grid they some of them just drove right through corners they were so <laughs> amped up and i was thinking of you when when you're at the starting line or when you've been at the starting line and you're say at the olympics and it's all on the line how you bring yourself into that moment you have to keep your composure yeah you have to keep your composure i say it's like a soda bottle yeah you shake a soda bottle up with the top on and when the gun clicks you open the bottle everything explodes if you're shaking a soda bottle all day and you just keep opening it guess what it gets flat yeah 
So you have to be able to shake it up once, open it when you need it and go. There's a lot of talk right now about this heart rate variability. It was something that I didn't really know about, but you know, an athlete's ability to be able to keep the heart rate down, like you said, before you need to exert yourself and to be able to stay super calm before that explosive burst. And that some athletes who are phenomenally talented, their heart rate variability uh, is so, um, I, I don't even know how to say it, but I guess when I, they, 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 their heart rates start beating really, really fast before they have to perform and it, they find it harder to perform. Nerves. Yeah. You know, many times you can just call that nerves in yes. a way. Um, even when I would be at my best, my heart rate would still go up because at the end of the day, anything can change. Yeah. You know, even if you're at the top of your game, it could be her best day of her life, you know. So the heart rate is going to go up and down. It is going to change. I don't think there's any scientific thing that we can do or take to make, you know, it um, go any differently. Um, it's just a part of just standing there and try to be as calm and composed as you possibly can. But it's interesting to watch the way different athletes deal with that stress, you know, and deal with those nerves. Like Usain Bolt, he's, you know, he puts on such an act. He plays. Yeah, he yeah. plays around. Mm -hmm. He starts firing arrows mm -hmm. off into the air, <laughs> mm -hmm. staring everybody down. What was, what, what was your procedure? Like, how did you go into it? Could you, were you come totally in your own zone or shut everything out? What, just walk us through what it's like going out onto the track, getting ready for those moments leading up to that, that burst. It's tunnel vision. You know, you have to only think about yourself. You know, if you're worried about lane two, lane three, lane five, lane seven, you've already lost. You know, when, when I would go into the tunnel, I would say, okay, Carmelita, you have to execute. Execution wins races. Mm -hmm. If you don't execute, you will open the door for someone to beat you. And it could be someone that has absolutely no business beating you, but you left the door open. Um, so when I would go into the tunnel and walk through, my mindset would just be, okay, drive, pick your knees up run through the finish line. I'll just constantly tell myself things that I need to make sure I do in the race. But um, I kept a stone face. I wasn't smiling, I wasn't laughing. I definitely wasn't the Usain Bolt who could play around. Um, I just, everybody has their own technique of getting the job done. And mine was stone faced, we are not friends, don't play with me. Yeah, I can see that, you mean business. <laughs> and I've seen your stone face too. I, I, I've watched a couple of videos of you when you're in the zone and you just look like don't mess with me right now not I, right now no, it, it, this is not the time i'm in my place right some now. races are truly won before it starts yes you know it's all about intimidating the the opponent you yeah. know if you're able to intimidate them and get them off their game and get them to second guess themselves yeah you've already won you know when when you watch on television there's this race that takes place and, and and if i'm not mistaken your time was a 10-6-4 yes sir okay so a 10-6-4 it's over so fast years and years of training you're, you're you're preparing yourself for this for this moment but i'd love you to break down what happens like when you're in just imagine now you're down in the starting position you're waiting for that gun to go i guess you're trying to relax i just love you to walk us through the steps how many steps is it basically from when you start to the end? Do you know roughly? Ooh, that's a good question. But it's quick. It's it, quick. It's super quick. And it's quick. But if well, we could slow it all down and just take us into the moment and you're waiting okay. and they say, you know, on your mark and, okay. and then just all the stages leading right up to that finish. You know, you're in the back, you have all your clothes on, um, you have a bucket and they tell you, take your, you know, you know, clothes off and you 
put all your clothes in the bucket and you have your number on your bib, your name on the front and your number on the back. And then you have your numbers on your sides of your hips and you're walking out to the track in the line of your racing in. So the who's ever there in lane one, they're going first, lane two, three, four, and so on to lane eight or nine. And you're standing behind your blocks. They allow you to set your block and you know, you're setting your block and this is your moment because you have to get the, your, your block start has to be perfect at this time. So many people in the crowd, the stadium's full, everybody's snapping pictures, everyone's saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, because they, they have the opportunity to see their best athletes that they've never seen before, you know, in person. And then you're standing behind your blocks and then they call out pretty much your resume, you know, and Carmelita Jetter, lane five, you know, 10, six, four, this, that. And as you're standing there, you're thinking, wow, this is really happening right now. Okay, it's go time. And they say, on your marks, mm -hmm. you get in the blocks. I always would stomp my block. That was my, everyone has something that they do different. You know like how you have tick. LeBron has the throwing the, um, the powder up in the air uh. before he starts the game. You know, everybody has something. And so my thing was, okay, I'm gonna stomp the blocks. That's my mental preparation for it's time to go. I would get in, keep my head down, silence, it's super quiet because you can't false start. Um, they would say set and you bring your butt up, the gun clicks. And truly what you want to do is you want to stay down for at least 10 to 15 steps. And that means keep your eyes down, keep your body down, stay tight and head towards the finish line. When you stand up, what I would always do is I would find something at the finish line and hold on to it and grab onto it with my eyes. Oh, as an eye line. Yeah, and so what that would help me do is it would stop me from looking over. It would stop me from worrying about her or worrying about her if my eyes are at the finish line. Wow, that's cool. Always run through the tape, not just to the line. Many times athletes just run to the line. But if you're just running to the finish line, that means mentally you cut off 20 meters ago. You should be running through the finish line. So if it's 100 meters, then I'm running to about 130. That means I'm running the full race. Wow, and when you're in the middle of it and you hear people talking about time slowing down and all that sort of stuff, for you, is it all just a blur or are you really hyper, hyper aware in that moment? It's a blur. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I ran 1064, I couldn't tell you what happened. I couldn't, everyone said, every, all my interviews were, how did you feel? I felt effortless. So take us to the 1064, uh, second fastest time ever run by a woman on this planet. Yes. You are the fastest woman that's living on this planet. Yes, I am. Right now. Uh, a world record when you get to the end of a race and you you look up and you see a record like that what goes through your mind well I'll tell you I didn't even know that I ran 10.6 so we're in we're in um, Thessaloniki Greece this was before I ran 10.64 I ran 10.67 first in Thessaloniki Greece I had just took third at um, Berlin World Championship. So I'm not gonna lie to you, I was a little pissed off. I was a little mad. Um, I knew I didn't execute my race. I knew I didn't do the things that I needed to do in the race to win, and that's why I lost. I was very disappointed. I told my coach, John Smith, I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm gonna make it up. Um, I was that athlete, 
I held myself accountable. Mm -hmm. I knew when I flopped up, I mm -hmm. took credit for it. And when I did something amazing, oh, I took credit for that as well. And we're in Thessaloniki, Greece, it's hot. It has to be about 115 degrees at nine o'clock at night. It is blazing hot. And we're in the blocks. I'm still upset because I did not win. So at this point, I'm trying to prove a point. I'm trying to prove that you beat me, but I know I should have won. And we come to set, the gun clicks, and I had the perfect start. I executed. I stood up and all I remember was it was such an effortless race, just effortless. Like I wasn't even running, like I was walking in the air. It was effortless. I crossed the finish line and everyone's screaming and hollering and shouting and I'm like, what's going on? Why is everybody crazy? My training partner, David Neville at the time, who was the bronze medalist in the 2008 Beijing 400 meter race, he comes running towards me. Jet, Jet, you just ran 10-6. I said, what? And I looked at the clock and I said, oh my gosh, I just ran 10-6. So now I'm jumping up and down, I'm screaming and I'm hollering, everybody's congratulating me. I didn't even know I ran 10-6. I was just gonna walk off the track. It's like, okay, I won. So I would take it that you proved your point. I did. I proved my point to myself. Yeah. You know, it wasn't to prove to anyone else. You have to be able to prove things to yourself. You have to be able to let yourself, your inner self know when something went wrong, okay, I can do better. And that was that race for me. I had to prove to my inner self that I was worthy. Yeah. It must feel so good when you work so hard and then you have that moment, right? The, the, and you're able to share it with people who know how hard you've worked and you're able to share it with your coach and that nobody can ever take that away from you. Nobody can ever take that away from you. And you, until you do something amazing and great, you'll never know what that feeling is. Yeah. You know, I tell people that all the time um, when they ask me, how did I feel? They want me to describe it. And I say, I can't, mm -hmm. you know, I, and I kind of, turned it into like I've never had a child before but when some women talk about giving birth mm -hmm. and then the child's laying on their chest and they just can't even describe it the connection that they have and I get it I totally get it now because mm -hmm. I can't describe to you the feeling from the inside of me from winning gold medals or running the fastest time as a woman second fastest time ever I can't describe it it's like undescribable to pay respect to the woman who did run the fastest time ever, can you tell us, for those who don't know, a little bit about this phenomenal athlete that I believe won gold in 80, was it 88? I believe so. 88, and then, but did you ever have the opportunity to meet her? You know, I've never had the opportunity to meet Flo Jo, who yes. was just gorgeous and just commanded your attention when she was on the track. Um, I didn't start running track until I was in the ninth grade. So track wasn't something that I paid attention to. And even when I was in high school running, I paid attention to the athletes that ran, but it just wasn't like how I did when I played basketball. Mm -hmm. When I played basketball growing up, I wanted to be Jordan. I wanted to be Magic. I wanted to be Cheryl Swoops. But running track, I looked at track athletes, but I never wanted to be her. Right. I never, I wanted to be me. You know, I wanted to be Carmelita Jetter. And it just so happens, growing up as a kid, I said, you know, I'm gonna make the dream team. 
but who would have thought it would have been for track and field? You know, yeah. I wanted to be on the dream team like Magic and Jordan and yeah. Bird and all those guys because I just grew up playing basketball. But I, I, I always say it's all about speaking everything into existence. Yeah. And I spoke it as a kid. I said, I'm going to be on the dream team. And then in 2012, what did I do? Yeah. I was on the dream you team, on right? The dream te- and we're going to talk about that dream team because, wow, I love that. I love that story so much. But let's go back to the ninth grade when you had the basketball shoes on and the basketball shorts and 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 you want to be a basketball player but then you kind of find out that you can actually move pretty quickly even in basketball shorts and basketball shoes what happened well my basketball coach says to me season's over you know Carmelita wants you to go out for the track team you're pretty quick you can stay in shape I was thinking it was a waste of my time um, in my eyes the frissy girls ran track and I was a tomboy I'm just pretty you know pretty girls like hair worried about breaking their nails yeah they want to play basketball because it might break a nail exactly and this is what I thought at first right um I thought that you had to be a certain type of girl to run track and that just wasn't me and um I guess you can say going into track and being there on the first day I ran really fast and the coach said okay you're on varsity. I was like, oh, okay. As a freshman, I got my letterman jacket. But then I started to respect it more. You know, until you play a sport and truly play it, you don't really respect it. You know, you, you'll look at it and you'll say, oh, I could, I could do that. You know, it's always someone that can say what they can do when they watch something. But to, to go out and train and just run every day, Mm. you know and and it's just practice you know and then to go and practice for a week for a race that takes 12 seconds 11 seconds you know in high school it was just I loved it I love the fact that you lined up and if you won you won and if you lost you lost yeah I love that more than anything basketball you had to share the credit it was always team we 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 it was never about you it was but track and field was all about me of Mm. course for the relay was a team but track and field is an individual sport yeah um a relay is just a situation where you get four people together and you put your talents together and you, you run really fast one time but i love the fact that when i lined up my name is the name that's called and it's been called a few times yes it has you know, that just brings up this idea of training hard, working hard. You've always said that you like to prove a point. You like it when people tell you, Carmelita, you can't do that. You're too old. You're too, you know, you're, you're yesterday's sprinter. But you've always been, it seems, strongly motivated by people telling you you can't do something. Oh, I love haters. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, had hater, a few? haters are your biggest fans. You know, they know everything about you. Yeah. Um, they can give you all your stats, but, you know, um, they're, and they're also people that can't do what you do. Um, kind of like those critics, yeah. you know, who, who have so much negative things to say. But if you ask them how they did in high school, they were on the debate or the chess team or something, right, right. you know. Um, I loved, I loved haters. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, there's no, nothing not, like, wrong with being on I'm the just, de- debate or the chess team, not right. at all. I'm saying they I never know. played the sport, yeah. yet you're telling me what I should have did better in the race. I right. always thought that was hilarious to me uh, for someone that's never done it, but right. I had something to say. Um, I love the haters. Absolutely loved them. Does um, it get you? It's motivating. Really? It's motivating. Can you describe like, that to me? It's because like gas for the car. Really? You know, for me, everyone's different. Yeah, but I, I want to know that because some people get so sensitive about, you know, they want everybody to love them. But oh, for you, no. it's like, 
Now, Gas for the car. Everybody's not going to like you. And if everybody likes you, that means you're not really doing anything. Okay. And that's in my eyes. Everybody's yeah. not going to like you. If everyone likes you, then that means you're being safe. And you've, you're someone who has not played it safe. I no, mean, I haven't. And you, I don't you've care. You've risked it all. And you don't like me. That's fine. The people that like me are the people that's supposed to like me. Yeah. You seem to be somebody who likes to let your actions speak. And, and you've done that. And sometimes you will want your actions to speak loud. And guess what? Maybe that day it just wasn't your turn. Right. But you're prepared to go back and work hard and come back. I don't have a problem with failing. That's something that I really want to explore with you because there seems to be a stigma attached to failure. And I've always said, well, hold on a second. Failure is the first step to success. And you cannot achieve things without, what is a, what's that quote Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Mm -hmm. You have to fail to achieve. So I, I'd love to explore that with you because I know you believe that. I believe that you cannot be afraid to fail. Many times people are so scared because they're worried about what someone's going to say, if somebody's going to laugh, what, what are people going to think if I don't do well. I never had a problem with failing. Um, even when you're at the Olympics and there's millions of people watching you at home and everybody in the stadium, you can't be afraid to fail. If you're afraid to fail, you've already lost because you're so worried about everybody else. I had no problem lining up. I had no problem lining up with people that everyone thought was better than me or, you know, I, I had no problem with failing in front of the world. It yeah. makes, it builds your character. Yeah. Um, in good ways and bad ways, it's hel it helps you step things up and it, it gives you that exposure, that energy and with me, it, feed, it, it fed me as well. Failing in front of people also fed me because it made me more courageous. Mm. Yeah, you know, you, you know this whole idea of practicing things over and over and over again. I, I meet so many people, particularly as they get older, they have this sort of analysis paralysis, right? They don't want to try things because they think about what happens if they fail, mm -hmm. rather than wanting to try something and thinking about, well, what happens if I succeed? Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give to young people who have these pliable minds as someone who, is, who has failed and then achieved? What advice would you give to young people to say, give it a go, just try it? My biggest advice that I would always say to, and not even just young, young athletes, even if you're an older athlete and you're trying to succeed in something or not even being an athlete and you're just trying to succeed in life, I always say write everything down on a piece of paper in real life and, watch, you there. and watch it glow. Yeah. I have a checkoff list that's serious and I check yeah. things off one by one. And when you believe it, like truly believe it, because many times some people will say something but they don't believe it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, oh, I'm going to get 20 points in my next game or something like that, or I'm going to go to this school, but they don't believe it. Mm -hmm. So my only advice to whatever that you're trying to succeed in, you got to believe it. Mm -hmm. Like truly believe it to your core and then go and get it. There's some people that believe you should express what it is you, you believe in and what you want to achieve. And then there are others that believe that you keep it to yourself and that you're more likely to achieve it if you just keep it to yourself. What's your thought on that? I, everybody's different. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in keeping things to myself. I want to speak it out loud. I want to speak it into existence. I want it to be heard. You know, some people might think it's bragging. Um, 
but why would you think it's bragging if I'm talking about the things that I want to do? Have you been called uh, uh, cocky or arrogant? I have. I have been called cocky. I have been called arrogant. And my response to that is I haven't said anything to disrespect you. Mm -hmm. I haven't said anything to make you feel a certain type of way. I've only said everything to make me feel good. Right. So how is that being arrogant and cocky? Because right. I'm, I'm my own cheerleader. Yeah. Don't be mad at me because I cheer. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, how do you stand on the podium if you aren't a little bit sure of yourself and a little bit... You have to be. I mean, and it's people's perception of what they think. Is that arrogance or is that confidence? Mm -hmm. Is that a, a way of getting yourself into that zone to be able to go out? How can you compete if you're like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I will. No, you have to believe deeply. And then they wonder why they don't win. They right. wonder why they can't get it. They wonder why they, they, they can't try. Is because what you see of me as cocky or arrogant is what you don't see in yourself. Yeah. You don't see confidence in yourself. So then everything that I do seems wrong. Mm. Yeah. I, I wanna talk about 2012 and your team. And one of the biggest takeaways for me about that moment was just who was on the team and who, I'm not sure who made the final decision about who the athletes were going to be, but there was somebody on that team that wasn't as fast as somebody that wasn't on that team. Yep. And you know, from the outside, people might go, well, that's crazy. Don't you just put four people who are the four fastest people on a team representing a country? Why would you ever put somebody who was slower than somebody sitting back in the grandstand? You know, 2012, we had a group of women that were all running very fast. Mm -hmm. We had about eight women that were running 10 nines, 10 eights and we had a, a great crop of women to choose from. We had one particular woman who only ran 11.3 that year. Her name was Bianca Knight. And um, you know, people always wondered when you put a relay together, oh, we gotta put the four fastest people, but I think that's the negative. Team USA had been putting the four fastest women on relays for years because they thought that was the recipe to win and we dropped the stick several times. A couple times we didn't even win. I mean, we there was a, the, the American team, men and women, they had a reputation for dropping the baton yes. for quite a long time. Yes. And so what people fail to realize is it's not about the four fastest people. It's about the best chemistry. You gotta be able to get the stick around. I don't care how fast you are. If you can't get the stick around, it's not gonna happen. So as we're training for relays, I'm getting the stick from um, a young lady, Jenna Botarmo, who had the big controversy with her and Allison Felix about who was gonna rerun the 100 meters. And, um, you know, everybody really was pushing, you know, for her to be on the relay because she didn't get to run the open 100. But we just did not have chemistry. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel that I was gonna get the baton. Um, yes, she was faster than Bianca Knight, but there was no chemistry. And um, Bianca Knight, I didn't like her. I didn't care for her. We were not friends. She was not my cup of tea. And at that moment, when you're trying to be a leader, guess what? You have to put your personal issues aside. You have to put your personal agenda aside and the focus is Team USA, gold medal, let's get it done. I spoke to the relay coach. I said, me and Bianca have such better chemistry. I trust that she's gonna bring me the stick. She has that thing. And when you talk about athletes, 
an athlete has that thing about them, that dog, that fight, that every athlete has one. And Bianca has that. And I knew that she was going to bring me the stick. You know, the relay coach says to me, Carmelita, if we make this decision and you don't get the stick around, they're gonna throw you to the wolves. I said, I know. And you were the leader of the team? Yes. And, and how is that, uh, 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 how does that happen? Does the, is the well, coach I don't think you? it's just, it's not an election. You know, we had a great group of women. Mm -hmm. And the, the one thing about having a great team is everybody knows their role. Mm -hmm. In anything you do, in business, in sport, when everyone knows their role, everything rolls smooth. And I was just one that took it and rolled with it and spoke more and, you know, let's go, let's do this. and. You're assertive. Uh, I'm, I am you're, assertive. You're, you're I assertive. am. <laughs> I'm saying that in a good way. <laughs> and everybody knew their role. Yeah. And when people ask, what did we do that was so special for us to go 40.82? I said, the recipe of breaking a world God, record so and winning a gold medal was chemistry, trust, and everybody knew their role. Yeah. So she was a slower runner than somebody was faster but then you spoke about this the, the 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 way that the change goes where you have a certain number of steps where mm -hmm. you start right can you explain that transition from one runner to the other because you're trying to keep the speed of the baton consistent yes. right mm -hmm. walk us through that and how that works well what do you what do you like to do like from first to second you give a certain amount of steps i think allison felix gave tiana bartoletto maybe 25 steps and so when the person the incoming runner hits the tape, that means you, the outgoing runner, starts running. And when you start running, what we did was we would throw our hand back at seven steps. So immediately at seven steps, your hand is going back and that incoming runner is already there to pass the baton to you. That's how the Americans did it for 2012. We did seven steps, push back. Now, if you notice third to fourth leg with Bianca and myself, it was the shortest steps on the whole four by one relay. I only gave Bianca 18 steps. That's insane. <laughs> that is insane. And if you notice, we got the baton very, very close, but it's because I have such top end speed. If you don't give it to me right away, I'm gonna leave you. So I have to get the baton as soon as possible. Many coaches like for their athletes to get the baton in the middle of the zone or closer to the end, but with with me, you have to give it to me in the very beginning or you're not gonna catch me. And just to make it clear for those listening who don't know, there is a zone where you yes. have to change between, Is how big is that zone, like 20 meters? About 20 meters, you have to get the stick in between that zone. Yeah. And I got the stick literally, as soon as Bianca stepped into the zone, she gave me the stick. Whoa. <laughs> so she ran the shortest leg <laughs> out of everybody. <laughs> okay, so take us back to that moment where you said that when the race started, you picked it straight away. That, I knew we won. How and when did you know and how knew, did you know? I knew we won when Tiana Bartoletta got out the blocks. Really? Because I could watch the race from the screen. Ooh. And then I could watch it as they're going. And I'm watching Tiana and she passes it off to Allison. And Allison was having an amazing year that year. She opened that second leg up. And if you pay attention to the relay, this is the first time you can hear Allison Felix be emotional during a race. 
She's screaming at Bianca, go! You never see that from Allison Felix. And you saw that from her in 2012 because we knew we were about to do something great. And we also knew if we didn't get this stick around, we were gonna get in trouble as well. I was gonna get into a lot of trouble. So you see Allison screaming at Bianca to go. Now Bianca was running against one of the best curve runners in the world, Veronica Campbell Brown of Jamaica. Jamaica. Hands down, everyone knows Veronica Campbell Brown can run a, a curve. curve. And Bianca Knight held off Veronica Campbell Brown. Now, some people can argue with me. They can say, well, you know, Bianca got the stick first. No, Bianca held off Veronica Campbell Brown. And I'm standing there waiting for Bianca to hit the tape. As soon as she hits the tape, I turn, run, throw my hand back. And the thing about a relay, when I say the trust, I knew she was there. What a feeling. What a feeling. You get goosebumps when you, you think about it. I do get, I get goosebumps when I watch it. Yeah. And as I'm running, everyone asks me, was that a PR move? Did your PR team tell you to point <laughs> to the clock? I said, what that was, was uh, me telling you where to go and how to get there in the nicest way yeah. possible. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, it's worth looking up. I, I, it's worth looking up just to watch that, the, the way that that whole thing plays out. and. And, and the teamwork that took place and then what you what you all achieved together. And I wanna know whether you're friends with Bianca now and maybe you would have a cup of tea with her. You know what, now, this is what I will say. Many times we judge people. Yes. Off of maybe what we think of them, how we think they move, how we think they act. And we really don't give them an opportunity to show you anything different. And I'm a big girl. I can definitely say that I judged her a little more than I probably should. And as the relay and the Olympics went on, I started to like her more. I started to deal with her more. And um, now we tweet back and forth. We, oh, you don't yeah, just we talk, you know, any tea, no, no tea, no but, tea. but I would, I wouldn't mind, you, you know, at mind. this point I wouldn't mind going to eat or sit with her. Um, but I always tell people, sometimes we kind of have to step back and get to know somebody Yeah. and, um, things can be different. It's a good life lesson, right? It was a good life lesson. I have a quote from you. You said your goal was always to be an Olympian, to win an Olympic medal, to always be, uh, to always to, to be great. And, and, You've done that, and and uh, if I'm not mistaken, 2012, you got three medals, right? A gold, a silver, and a bronze. The trifecta. Uh, yeah, I mean, and where are those medals out of interest right now? <laughs> well, you know, um, I don't have them on me right now, but No, they, I don't yeah. expect you to pull them out of your pocket. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, um, they're actually at home right now. I do take them. I just did a Girl Scout event yeah. um, where the Girl Scouts um, gave the their gold award to um, their Girl Scout members, and I brought my medals there, and I spoke to them. You were a Girl them. Scout? I was never a Girl Scout. I'm actually a Girl Scout member now. They've yeah. made me an honorary Girl Scout, and um, I love talking to them because, just because you're bringing up medals, yes. I'll just tell you the story. I told them, I said, this is your Olympics. Your gold certificate is the high, highest level accomplishment of Girl Scouts. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, you don't have to be an Olympian to be in a, a, a gold medalist. Yeah. You know, you don't have to run a sport. It can be in anything that you do. You set the highest goal for yourself and that's it. 
Yeah, I've watched your speeches. Um, I've, I've seen you speak to companies. I've seen how you motivate. You're a really wonderful speaker, a great motivator. Uh, available for bookings, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a, a, anytime. Anytime. Uh, no, but I love it. Where does where, where that passion come from? Because you were talking before about Olymp uh, running is, a, is an individual sport. It's about you. It's about hearing your name. But now you're pouring all of this energy out to the Girl Scouts, to, to companies, and you want to share this energy. Where did that come from? I, I feel like everyone has to know their purpose. You have to figure out your purpose in life. You know, my purpose was to be great on the track. My purpose was to graduate from college and do all these amazing things, and I did all of that. And then I said, okay, well, what else is my purpose? What else, why, why else am I here? Yeah. And then, okay, you're here to make someone else great. Mm. And does that give you the same satisfaction, or, I mean, is it a totally different? It's a totally different satisfaction, but it's it's a great feeling when i'm speaking with people and even really with companies is where i get that oh my god you know that look turn when someone gets it mm -hmm. and i get that more speaking with companies than i do with athletes because they'll they get what i'm saying they're like wow i never thought of it like that so you found a pathway to take to take what you've done and then steer it towards what they're trying to do those life lessons, Yes. this idea of failure and, and taking a different approach to that. Taking a different approach to failure, putting together your relay team, mm. you know? It's just not about being a team on the track. Yeah. Putting together your relay team in the office. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it has to be the four people that have the best numbers when one of them has a very bad attitude mm -hmm. and doesn't work well with others? Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to change what you think makes the best team. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good life lesson. And um, in, in, in this one video that I found online where you're talking about Bianca and, and, and just talking about how that all happened, I learned something too, you know, out of that. Because you realize, you think, no, nah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Got to put the right team together. Um, oh, I, I should mention, you're studying for your master's right now. Yes. Uh, a master's in? Professional studies, sports management. Sports management. Is that something you're really interested in doing in the, in the future, sports management? Well, you know, I'm, I'm coaching now, so it kind of all runs together. Professional studies, sports management. What it is, it's a lot of being able to handle your own team. You know, being a, my goal dream is to be a head coach. So I, I'll have to be able to handle my assistants, handle paperwork, handle all of these things. So it all runs and ties together. And several classes that I've been taking in the spring and now I'm taking one in the summer, mm -hmm. um, I've learned things that I wouldn't have thought that I would have learned in a classroom setting mm -hmm. that's truly helped me in the office setting. Um, one of the things is just, you know, working well with others. Yeah. Where where did you first learn the lessons of working with others? Was that back on the basketball court when you were in the ninth grade, or where did that start? I would say working well with others came from basketball, but it truly didn't come until 2012 Olympics. Can you imagine if it went the other way, right? <laughs> no, right? I mean, right? They would have. <laughs> But I you, don't even want to think but, that. But you, but you took that risk. And I took that's the, the biggest risk, risk of your that life, right? That was the biggest risk of my life that I took. 
as I was standing there and I kept wiping my hands on my bib. If you if you go back and watch the video, I keep wiping my hands on my Sweat. bib because my hands were sweating like a movie. I was like, what's going on? It was just water, sweat, just running down my hands. And I didn't want to drop the stick. Oh, so I'm standing yeah. there oh. and I'm wiping my hands on my bib because my hands were soaking wet. When I competed, I had sticky notes on the mirrors. So when I would get up in the morning to brush my teeth, it would, it would say the things that I wanted to accomplish at the track meet that was coming that up. That particular meet. For that particular meet. But my to-do list is in my planner. Um, I write a full to-do list out at the beginning of the year, and I just keep adding on to it. Do you ever cross something and out? And I cross it out. I'm old school. I'm not going to put it in the iPad. No. I don't want it in a phone. Yeah. I want to go like this on the paper. Do you ever put something down and then you think it's really important to you and then with just time you realize, you know, that's not really something that's important to me? Nope. No. Everything I put down is important. Everything I put down I want. The goals that I put down are it'll be to finish my master's, yes. to be a head coach at a division one school, those type of things. Yeah. Not necessarily, um, I wouldn't take, like jumping out of a plane is not on my bucket list. Really? Okay, so you- It's on my list to do, but it's not a bucket list for me. Wow, a bucket list for me is to be a head coach, track and field at a big school and do some amazing things have my athletes be Bowerman Award recipients. Those, now that's a bucket list, Yeah, you know, and have I my see. athletes at the Olympic Games and have my athletes, like this summer, one of my athletes that runs for Missouri State, she's, she's a Canadian, and so she's going to NACAC. So that was on one of my lists, you know? So it's, I look at my list and my fun, two different things. Wow, Not okay. saying that me coaching isn't fun, right. it's just a different type a of bucket. Bucket. Okay. You're the first person that I've met who's okay. got the different list. I do. I, I put it all on one. Yeah. No, I have a different bucket. I have professional bucket and your house is full of buckets. Yeah, and just you got buckets fun, every, fun buckets. Fun bucket and then the real the <laughs> and other the real bucket. bucket. So you talked before about uh, Bianca's, you know, she had that that drive, that dog in her, mm -hmm. like to that fight in her. How quickly can you assess an athlete that you meet? As soon as I meet him. What what is it? Body language. It's body language, it's how they speak, it's all of the above. I can know, I know if you have dog in you from the first hello. Explain dog in me, what, what does that mean? Well, just that eye of the tiger. I definitely can see something in an athlete from just a conversation. Yeah. You know, from how you speak about yourself lets me know how, how you confident you are, how you carry yourself, how you stand, how you talk to me. You know, um, all of these Respect. things. Mm -hmm. I you, see it all. You see uh, structure and discipline are things that will make you great. That's a quote from you. Yep. So this is something you're instilling in your athletes. I have to. Um, being a, a professional athlete or just being an athlete in general, you have to be able to go to practice on time, go to school, graduate. Let's say you make the Olympic team or the world championship team. There's time schedules for everything. If you're a minute late, you will miss your race. Mm -hmm. So all of the things that I'm trying to teach you as a collegiate athlete will play for you if you decide to go elsewhere and compete. Mm -hmm. And not even just in sports, in life. Mm -hmm. If you have a job interview that's at eight, 
get there at 745. Well, case in point, what you're looking to transition to now, becoming the you know head coach at a D1 school, all the lessons that you took from being a, an athlete dedicated to your sport, you're taking all of that and you're Take putting it. Take it all with me. And sharing it all with, with people. Because it works. Yeah, I, I love this, uh, this quote of yours too, where, you know, it, people who don't know about running, the, the slower runners are on the outside lanes, right? They're, mm -hmm. You're either on the inside lane or the, you're in lane one or you're in lane eight, eight. or mm -hmm. nine or whatever. And you say, it, it doesn't matter what lane you're in or how far behind you are, as long as you catch up and you get to the finish line, that's the number one goal. So it, it sounds to me like in your career, you've, you've been on those outer lanes, but you've then performed again and as an underdog yep. and, and achieve more than pe maybe people expected of you. It's I always told people when I competed, I didn't count out anybody in the race. Many times all, the faster people are in lanes four, five, and qualifying. six because of qualifying times. But if you start thinking one and eight can't beat you, mm -hmm. you're in trouble because yeah. I used to be one and eight and yeah. I beat you. Yeah. So I always say, if you're on the line, you're capable. Yeah. Because the people that have nothing to lose, my mom used to always tell me that the scariest person will hurt you in a fight. And first I didn't understand what she meant by that. And what that means is if I'm so terrified and I'm so afraid, I'm gonna pick up anything to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And the same thing about being in a race. If this person in lane one is so scared and so terrified, they have nothing to lose. And everything to gain. And everything to gain. Hmm. So what I tell my athletes now is I said, don't worry about what lane you're in, go win. You said once you start changing your mind and believing in yourself and, being, and becoming your best and your biggest cheerleader, everything else falls into place. That's a great quote. Yes. Yeah. I definitely believe that you have to cheer for yourself. Many times nowadays, everybody's waiting due to social media and Twitter and Instagram and everyone's waiting for you to acknowledge their photo. Yeah. To like it, to comment on it, to put kissy faces and people aren't cheering for themselves. Why are you waiting for someone else to, to tell you, to that, tell okay. you that you look pretty mm. or to tell you that that's a great job? You should already know that. So when I make that, that quote, that comment about being your own cheerleader, that's because you need to be. Yeah. Half yeah. the time people aren't clapping because they want to clap. They're just clapping because they don't want someone else to think that they're hating. Yeah. <laughs> Kamalita, who have you drawn strength from in your life? Have you got family members that, that you drew a lot of strength from or a particular coach or like who are the people that, that really got you through tough times and who inspired you? You know, so many people in my family inspired me. I lost my aunt to breast cancer in 2012. This is why you wear the pink shoes. And this shoes. is why I wear the pink shoes. But and this you did, I'm sorry to stop you, but uh, just in, in honoring your aunt, but also women uh, who have had breast cancer or just with breast, breast cancer awareness, you worked with Nike and, and you came up with these really cool pink shoes. Yes. Uh, tell us about those shoes. I wanted to wear pink spikes. Nike hadn't made pink spikes. I thought it would be great to run in pink spikes to represent my aunt, to represent anybody that was fighting cancer, had lost their battle to cancer. I wanted to be your warrior. So yeah. that was kind of like my Superman power. 
you know it just made me feel amazing when I lined up in my pink spikes and um, it just made me an advocate you know I hate to say it and I'm sure many people can say this that it has to hit home for you to care yeah you know tell us about your aunt then just so we honor her well my aunt um and you asked me women that inspired me yeah she was a woman that had a master's a home a, a amazing job making over a hundred grand a year like that's big you know if you're if i'm looking at it as a as a kid and um she did all of this on her own she was extremely independent and um in 2009 she had got diagnosed with cancer and you know we thought we had beat it and everything was great. And then in 2012, it just hit like a Mack truck. And you know, when they say two to three months, they are serious about that time yeah. because it just, it really declined. And, and watching her, knowing that life was coming to an end, she would still ask me about my races. She would still ask me about things and I couldn't even fathom the fact that I was falling apart yeah and I had been this strong woman but this was the time that I always tell my coach John Smith he had to put superwoman back together I was completely it really tore you down I was completely broken I wasn't going to even run in 2012 he had to literally come to my house and get me out of the bed to go to practice you really felt into a deep depression at that point I did I fell into a deep depression I was just I've never lost anyone like that you know they 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 teach you how to smile how to kiss the babies how to do photo shoots how to say all these amazing things but no one teaches you how to be an athlete and be hurt it's that's that's not something that they teach you and you still have to do your job and you have nothing to smile about. How did you get up out of that? How did you get out of bed? I started saying to myself, she would be so disappointed in you right now. Mm -hmm. I had to flip it. Because if I didn't flip it, it was gonna kill me. And at the same time, you're trying to motivate yourself and get back out there. There were other people that said, well, you were getting older and- You're getting older. Maybe you should be thinking about something else. You know what, at this time, they weren't even my fuel. My fuel was her. You gotta do this for her. You gotta get these medals for her. You gotta win for her. So this was probably the one time yeah. <laughs> I could have cared less what anybody else said. It was, this was all for her. Wow. Well, she'd be so proud of you. Oh, I know she is. I constantly get this bird that flies by my house. It's like a cardinal. Yeah. And they say when like precious birds or precious animals or, you know, come out of nowhere and when this bird comes up I always say hey auntie hey auntie it comes oh. around about once a week that's so nice mm -hmm. imagine how proud she is of you and going for your masters and then I know you're going for your masters but then you were also honored with a doctorate so where did you get your doctorate from Cal State Dominguez Hills I'm a graduate of Cal State Dominguez Hills yeah. um, and they brought me back, gave me my honorary doctorate. I gave the commencement speech and I killed it. Did you kill oh, it? Oh, did I kill oh, it? Oh, you're a great speaker. I like, like I said, I killed it. Booking's but available now. Going um, into the commencement was crazy because they kept wanting me to send them my speech. And so uh, I kept trying to type it out. You think they were worried or what? I don't know. That I kept they, they wanted, wanted to, to edit it. They or? wanted to put it on the teleprompter. Oh, I see. And so I kept typing it out and I kept saying, it just doesn't sound right. And I would 
it just doesn't sound right and I would delete it. it just doesn't sound right and I kept saying why are you trying to make a perfect speech I mean college was not perfect mm-hmm. and so then I had to go back and I said now talk from four years actually six years because it took me six years to graduate let's be honest and I said talk like an athlete that had to go to school for six years that had to drop classes that failed a couple classes that took you longer than four years to graduate this is where all that grit and determination yeah, comes that's from. how you need to talk and so <laughs> as I'm now as I'm doing the the uh, commencement everything's flowing because it's You're coming from a real place it, coming, it was coming from a real place and I bet you inspired a lot of those kids yes. that day because there were a lot of other kids that maybe were going through the same thing. Yes. Uh, one of the things that we uh, we talk about with our guests is we ask them a couple of questions, mm-hmm. and it sort of speaks to, I guess, who they are and who's important to them. And um, uh, Dr. Jetter, um, if you were if you were going to uh, take a road trip <clears throat> across America, Ooh. and uh, you could take three people from any time in history in the car with you uh i'm guessing your aunt might be in that car this uh, is a good just because you get to spend some time with her i would definitely bring my aunt brenda washington to ride across the country with me um i would have to bring a fun person also lebron james oh lebron i think i think he would be hilarious and then the last person that i would bring i would bring little kim when she first came out oh okay (laughs) Oh, wow. That's that's a really interesting car car ride right there. Who's driving? I'm my guessing. Aunt, oh, she's driving? My aunt would be driving. She could drive. Oh, mm-hmm. she's a good driver? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say you wanted to be in control. Oh, no. I would be in the passenger seat. It sounds to me like your aunt is the only one that you would let take control yeah. in, you know, in yes. life. Mm-hmm. And then... If you knew that you were having your last day on earth and you could Ooh. design your own last day. Okay. And where would you be? What would you be doing? The first thing I would do is make sure all my family and friends are in one spot. We're all together. Um, and um, I wouldn't like go any place. I would literally just have all my friends and family in one place, get like some cooks to come and do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have a softball game, a football game, just a day, kind of like a family reunion and just get as many family from across the country. Anybody that can get here in 24 hours, I would want them there to spend the whole day with me and just really go through like pictures, have like, um, a picture thing like flowing all day when everybody's watching like all these pictures for me as a kid and running and videos and I would like it to be like a voiceover all day where you could hear me talking from interviews and shows that I've done and you just hear it all day so it's like a day of just remembrance if this is my last day then I definitely want to enjoy it I want you to remember all the special things that I did. And um, I wanted to be with only people that love me. You know, many times when people like to do things for other people and I would, you, you have to love me in order to be there. Wonderful. Wow, it's wonderful talking to you. I, I just noticed on your wrist, your Olympic rings. Yes, my Olympic rings. Beautiful, next to a Rolex. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To see more great interviews, go to philcogan.com and subscribe to Bucket with Phil Cogan wherever you get your podcasts. Please consider rating and reviewing us. 
and follow Bucket, that's Bucket with an I-T, on Instagram and Facebook. Also, follow me on Twitter, at Phil Kogan. See you soon. Thank you.